Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Before we get going with today's podcast, I just wanted to share a couple things with you. Number one, please check out the Football for All podcast. It's designed for your youth audience, but if you are the head football coach who really runs everything in your community, I think it'll be very helpful to you. It explains what we're doing with the football development model, as well as get some good perspective from different types of stakeholders, whether those be current or former NFL players, current high school, college, or NFL coaches, as well as parents and commissioners. It's really designed for that parent, commissioner, and coach group from your youth audience. And I think it'd be helpful if you would push coaches that way. Also, as you get going here and the country opens up, I know getting your players in shape and getting them ready with some of the skills they need, like tackling, blocking, and defeating blocks are going to be important, but you're probably going to be limited as far as contact goes right now. Check out our contact system, which is designed for all those types of things. You won't see a single drill really with any helmet on, and there's very few drills where shoulder pads are required. You could get those going now to really work on some of those skills and fundamentals and check out our advanced tackling system designed around the five fights. I think you'll really find that that's an excellent coaching system as well. Check those out at footballdevelopment.com. Here we go with today's podcast. Enjoy. For all the guys out there, I know Coach Stacchiotti because he played for us at Baldwin-Wallace. He was a linebacker, and uh, I always kept trying to borrow him to come over to uh, the good side to play a little bit of fullback for us, and uh, he did that. And um, Best fullback you had. That's right. Uh, only one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, I think the, the biggest thing is we saw – this guy was a worker. So just to see him progress, I know everybody who had the opportunity to get to know him, whether that's been a coach or, or a player, uh, has been really excited about the success he's had and to see him grow in this profession and now be the head strength and conditioning coach at Pitt, I think is huge. So Mike, it's, I appreciate you taking the time today. Again, go ahead and present. A lot of guys will see this in the playback. To see kind of how you know, you built out this podcast based on, you know, you taught like building it out when I was just finishing up school and seeing where it's at now. It's awesome. And, you know, I'm not big on presenting stuff or, you know, I think a lot of coaches in strength and conditioning now, they build their brand. It's kind of their thing. And uh, I kind of stay out of the light in that sense as much as I can, just because, you know, I want my work to speak for itself and not be a social media guru or whatever that may be. But so you might not have that many viewers. I don't know. I don't really promote too much or anything like that. But I'm I'm thankful to be on this you know podcast with you and be able to talk shop a little bit. But I didn't have any like subject that I wanted to just cover because I'm not yeah. an expert in any single thing. I don't want to come off as somebody that's a guru. You know, I know a lot because I worked with you know a lot of great people and experienced a lot of cool stuff. But at the same time, I'm not an expert in any way. So I kind of wanted this to be open. I found a lot of the times where I learned the most wasn't from going to presentations on specific subjects, but when I was just sitting there talking shop with different coaches. You know, I coached at the high school level, you know, mid-major level in college, major college, NFL. So I know some stuff, but I don't know everything. And 
you know, I'm excited to, you know, kind of see what comes up, see some like Q and A stuff coming in. Yeah. Well, I think Mike, I think what would be valuable is to, to talk a little bit about those different levels and the differences you see. And, you know, we will get a lot of, of high school coaches in here, I'm sure thinking about how they approach and how they do things with their program. And I mean, you were a gym rat for us. So you lived in the weight room, love the weight room. You know, just thinking it from that approach, how would you not only just develop strength, but develop that full athlete? Because I think that's been a huge part of your education. Now, you've learned not just to get in a weight room and throw the weights around, but you're looking at developing every aspect of what it takes to be an elite athlete, right? And certainly yeah. we want to translate that to our high school kids as well. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of differences in all the levels, but there's a lot of similarities because strength and conditioning, no matter what, is still strength and conditioning. And there's fundamental principles that apply to, you know, a high school athlete and a junior high athlete that are the same as the application for a collegiate athlete or professional athlete. The differences come in, obviously, you know, you have talent uh, levels, you have genetic, you know, genetic makeup. You know, you have genes that are expressed different and there's really no way we could track that. Not that it matters, but uh, also, you know, when you look at it, you just have to understand the skill levels. You have training ages, biological ages that you have to consider that, you know, apply into those fundamental principles. So when I was a high school strength coach, I actually was, you know, and this wasn't very long ago, you know, I'm, I'm young in the field. I was so bad. I was terrible, but at the same time, the guys got so much stronger and so much better and they're in shape, but like I did so much dumb stuff looking back, but I'm highly critical of myself. Like I was doing, you know, elevated deadlifts. Like I was doing stuff that it's like, I shouldn't have done that. It's so stupid. <laughs> but the beauty of training high school athletes and junior high athletes is you could be very, very simple and the, you know, stimulus the stress that you elicit on their body is gonna you know elicit the response that you desire of them becoming stronger you know faster but um even at the level that we're at now the high you know high level of college in the acc and even in the nfl um kind of the mentors i was brought up with kept it simple you know we didn't do extremely complex movements simply because would you rather get the results or spend the time coaching the finer points of a complex movement just so they can get good at the movement and have limited, you know, transferability. Um, right. So, you know, that being said, I, I've been through different programs where I was with Olympic based programs where people do, you know, snatches and cleans and snatch balances, push jerks, split jerks, all of that. And then I worked with programs that did more of a hit style, like machine-based training or powerlift-based training. And then, so taking all that, I kind of have an eclectic view on movements. I'm not an Olympic-based program, but I, you know, I still do clean pools and snatch grip pools when it's appropriate. I do a lot of jumps, a lot of med ball throws, you know, bench squat, deadlift, trap bar deadlifts, you know. Right. And then the accessory work is, you know, extremely eclectic as well just based off of things that i've seen that my staff's seen so my staff also they're not all like-minded like me which is good they challenge me in a really good way to you know 
get the best out of the programming. But yeah, I mean, like I said in numerous interviews, I still from Buddy Morris, I don't have a philosophy. Philosophies are for philosophers and I just steal whatever I can from watching videos and things that I've been exposed to and yeah, uh, you know, things like that just to get the most out of it. So, yeah. And, you know, I think back to trying to think if it might've been your freshman year and we were still over at the rec center and we could only lift from like 6 a.m. till eight when it opened. Do you remember this? Were you oh, there? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And that was, I was in charge of it that year. And I mean, I knew enough to be dangerous. I was not a strength and conditioning coach by training. I mean, I, I did some basic certifications and, and knew enough to get through. But, you know, that's, I found it, it, you know, what I needed to do was to keep it simple for you guys because we didn't have a lot of space or a lot of time. And for me, that was the key. I mean, you know, sometimes you get caught up and you see all these cool things on the internet. And I see Coach Walsh has a couple questions here. I'll get to in a second. And uh, Coach Foreman, thanks for joining us. You know, that idea of being able to, to keep it simple rather than looking at all these complex things you can do. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's what they can translate onto the field. So, yeah. yes, we want them to have some great numbers in their lifts. But, you know, these guys are not going on to be in an Olympic weightlifting competition either. So I think that kind of gets to Coach Wallace's question that, you know, type of lifting and his question was pyramid, eccentric, velocity based. I'll let you take that. Yeah. So what we do is, you know, our meat and potatoes here at Pitt, you know, for the upper extremity is various rows, you know, loaded on vertical and horizontal pulling bench variations of bench you know several different variations we like to conjugate a lot which is just switching up the movement rather taking a bench from a flat bench to an incline or using specialty bars we like to do that to kind of you know keep the stimulus fresh for the guys and you know make sure they're not getting too accustomed to movements i think with the lower body our big things are squat variations of squat you know normal squat split squat rear foot elevated split squat box squats or you know, big. And obviously deadlift is another one that we hang our hat on. Generally trap bar, we will, with select athletes, get into sumo deadlifts. And then jumping is another big thing for us. So that's our kind of our meat and potatoes. And that's a lot of different stuff and different variable movements, just because we don't want to pigeonhole into having just one mindset because there's so many different ways. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat and we want to exhaust our resources to ensure that we're getting the most bang for our buck for our guys. When it comes to our, you know, programming style, I think the best way I could put it is that it's an agile periodization style model. You know, I just actually read Jovanovic's book that kind of went over it, and that's probably the best way to explain the model we use. We're a plan B style program. You know, I could write eight weeks of a program out and first week it's completely changed. You know, in, in the middle of the week, I could change it just based off of what you see with the athletes. And with all that, you know, conjugating the movements, undulating intensities and repetitions, you know, every two to three weeks, just ensuring that we're keeping the stimulus fresh for the guys. And then I think the other part of the programming that, you know, can describe it is that, you know, we're not – just, I know I said probably like three times a little redundant, but we're not pigeonholed into saying like we're block periodization, we're, uh, you know, powerlifting based 
program. Uh, we utilize percentages as well as uh, velocity-based training programs. We're trying to build out velocity profiles on guys using tendo units along with percentages, just to ensure that they're training optimally and not maximally or minimally. Just making sure that what we're doing yields the results that we want with the least amount of, you know, diminishing returns and uh, soreness for the guys. So, so I know I, I saw you in that interview talking about the use of technology and you just, you know, mentioned a little bit of that there. Talk to us about, you know, the technology that you use and how you're using it. And I guess the other part that would probably be interesting, if you didn't have that technology, what would you use to monitor your athletes to be able to tell you how to adjust, you know, your, your program? Now here comes a rant because I worked with Anthony Paroli who is one of the most forward-thinking strength coaches, I think, in the country. He's one of the smartest people, not just strength coaches that I know. And he built out the sports science program at the Arizona Cardinals and did a really good job collaborating with him, Buddy, and, uh, you know, Jamie from Catapult. They built a great model out there. And we brought it to Mississippi State and we brought it to Tampa Bay. And we had tremendous success. And the thing with you know, technology and sports science, people think that, you know, sports science is this crazy thing. Sports science is just strength and conditioning. It's just a way to get objective data to base your, you know, training off of. That's all it is, you know, unless you're doing, you know, research studies and things of that matter. Like, I, I like to think, you know, Dave Hamilton, we hired at Tampa Bay as a head sports scientist, him and Jordan Dudas, they're title is sports science because they do all the analytics and stuff but realistically they're just a branch of strength and conditioning they're just doing the the analytics of it and i'm i'm get i'm i don't want to like bash anybody or anything like that but i'm tired of people putting too much into the, the technology and not enough into the coaching end of it because it's a it's an art and a science i saw someone that they always post awesome graphs you know and charts and stuff colorful things and you know obviously they're using utilizing the technology and doing a good job at it but then they had a athlete do a squat on a box and with a significant weight I was excited to see like hey like let's see what this guy does like because they do all this cool stuff and think they're forward thinking and ahead of the curve and this dude just smashes down on the box and looks like he's about to blow his L5 out of his you know back like ah, you know what like at what extent is technology more important or less important? Or, you know, you got to find how to use it and how to be meaningful and then not let that be the master. I could sit here and give you a bunch of charts and a bunch of objective data, and it's useless if I can't go on the floor and apply it. And if I don't know how to, you know, and kids coming up now, like when I was in school and being brought up, like you just had to be able to coach before you knew anything about periodization, anything about, you know, just programming in general. You had to know how to coach movements and coach people. Now I think people are getting too caught up in the, the side of, you know, the technology and, you know, the literature of strength and conditioning without that application of it. You know, not, I'm not saying that's a general thing I'm saying, but, you know, you can't put one thing as the master. Everything matters. And obviously they're great tools, but you don't have to have it. You, I could get – pit ready for a season with center blocks and sandbags you know we're kind of going through a period now where we have limited resources 
and a lot of people are very scared, very nervous about it. Like, I'm not, you know, you know, the closer the season were to get, I would be very nervous. But right now, like, there's there's ways to get the guys prepped and ready yep. to the point where you're building up resilience. You don't need the technology and everything like that. We utilize Catapult. We utilize Force Deck software with force plates. We had centralized databases. We had all this stuff. But what it comes down to is you have to be able to coach the athletes and get them prepared. Now, objective data could be anything from getting GPS, you know, IMA and player load velocities, all of that. If you don't have that, you could simply like time your athletes and have, you know, rate of perceived exertion charts for athletes, it's, uh, questionnaires, things like that as a subjective data that you can utilize. Um, then obviously you have your percentages, you have the loads, and you just monitor those and track progress there, body weights. If you have the ability to do, you know, you're in specific gravity, you could do that and you know, there's so many data points that you could use and it doesn't really matter the data points that you use as long as it's useful. Mm -hmm. You know, I could, I could give a coach a catapult report and it's useless because they don't understand what it's reading out. You know, you could be a high school coach that has access to catapult just because you have, it doesn't mean it's worth anything. You know, what you have and what you can utilize and the success you have depends on your ability to, yeah. To use it, you know, but that's kind of a rant there. But I'm, I'm tired of hell, you know, people's because I feel dumb. I go online and I, I'm not a dumb person, but I see all this stuff that people are doing, and a lot of it I'm like, oh man, like that's really cool. I'm an idiot. Like, why am I not doing that? Then I see them train the guys. I'm like, this house, never mind, you know. <laughs> But then there's people that are really awesome and do a lot of great stuff. So I sure. feel like an idiot. They coach really well, too. And I just feel even more like an idiot. But I'm competitive. Well, I think, yeah, Mike, it's like any, any aspect of, of coaching. I mean, you're, you're going to be best by coaching what you know. And your athletes are going to be better for it, right? If you go out there and try to do things that, that right now you're not ready to do, you're going to have some issues. I've got a couple of questions here from, from Coach Walsh. The first one is, you know, the three to four lifts you'd recommend for high school, kind of, I guess, as maybe some of the core lifts. You know, high school guy, athletes, it depends. Like, I couldn't tell you where, you know, the most bang for your buck would be. I think my biggest and best suggestion is that you have to analyze your athletes and where they're at. You know, there's a lot that goes into – you know, the, what you choose to do for your athletes. So, you know, I couldn't tell you if you have a underdeveloped high school athlete, I wouldn't, you know, be able to tell you how you would train him specifically compared to a kid that's a senior that failed three times and has hit puberty twice, you know, <laughs> things like that. You know, I, I think the best advice I could give is just to keep it simple. You know, everybody can sprint, everybody can jump. Uh, body weight movements are huge and getting the movement pattern down, working those motor unit recruitment to do specific, you know, light loaded or body weight movements. And then I think simple things like, you know, I, I like squatting, but progressing it simply from, you know, maybe a goblet squat with a dumbbell down to a bench. So they learn the pattern and the angles of their body, which is subjective to all their bodies and then progress that into you know, maybe a barbell front squat 
back squat, deadlifting, you know, I think, you know, that became something that became very taboo for a long time. I think it's an important movement because if you're going to start into Olympic based movements, cleans and all that, like you're going to have to deadlift the bar off the ground. So teaching them the position of having a good angle with the back and, you know, working all those angles specific and, you know, sumo deadlift would be a great one as well. I love sumo deadlift, trap bar deadlifts, and then obviously dumbbell bench, push-ups, pull-ups are huge. There's so much you can do without getting, you know, too cute with it. You don't have to do like man makers where you're deadlifting, cleaning, overhead pressing, you know, spinning the bar on one finger, whatever they do. <laughs> you know, you you keep it simple and they're going to reap the benefit of it. I don't think – I think there's some great high school strength coaches out there. I know there's great high school strength coaches out there that are – you know, doing great jobs and they even coach Olympic movements and they do a great job at that. But, you know, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, keep it simple, get them strong and enroll. You know, it's not, it's not that hard. It's only as hard as you yeah. make it on yourself. I know Mike, and, and we got a question about plyometrics I'll ask next, but um, thinking back on that and I mean, we did it as players, right? Back to, I mean, I'm much older than you. Mike, so back to when I played in, you know, the late 80s. Leather helmets. <laughs> <laughs> it was really big to be in, you know, the different strength clubs, whether that was something for the bench or the total lifts. And we kind of then put the, I guess, analytics on how our kids are doing in their strength on those few lifts, which, I mean, I think you make a good point. Some of those kids are just learning how to do those. So it, it might not show up that they're getting stronger because they're technique-wise, right? They, they may not be yeah. there. So if, if you took the emphasis off of that or you were at a place, I mean, I remember being in one of the high schools I coached, we had, you know, two squat racks, two benches, and about six bars. We had to get creative with, you know, we, were, we had we've got a whole bunch of truck tires and lead pipes oh, okay. and stuff like that. But I couldn't necessarily be always measuring because we, you know, that wasn't going to be something I could get all those guys through. So if, if you're taking the emphasis off about worrying like about the, the technique heavy type of lifts, how are you measuring or how would you measure the, their progress to be able to see that? So if you could just flat load things. So when I was at the high school setting, what I did was for the main movements, I undershot everything. Like I, in, you gotta remember, like that was like my first job. And so I undershot everything to ensure that guys weren't getting buried under bars. But I was running around like a madman, like just trying to get numbers down. And if that's something you don't want to do and you have kids that you could trust, you know, you have to kind of roll with workout cards and have guys write down their weights and numbers. And you have to go through and check and say like, hey, last set, let me see it. Or if you have an assistant coach that isn't necessarily a strength coach, but a football coach, they can tell if somebody's failing or not, you know what I mean? But the other thing is just use a, a standardized weight. So, you know, your upperclassmen that are maybe stronger, they do, you know, 135, guys that are kind of developed in the middle area, 115 on whatever movement. And then the young guys, they use 95 pounds. This is all just generic numbers right. I'm throwing out. But have that standardized weight that they're using on the movements. And that way you don't have to worry about – you know, slapping on weights and everything like that uh, and ensuring that it's weight that you are undershooting. I can't emphasize that enough. I still, to this day, like on max days and stuff, I'll 
have guys hit a number. It's not truly like a max thing. We'll get like a repetition-based percentage. I'll still knock it down, you know, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, like just to ensure that, you know, I'm not bearing these guys because at a certain point they're going to, you know, that weight's going to beat their, beat them in, you know, making sure that they're, they're having success too. That You know, you don't get good at, you know, having success by failing. So I flat load things, keep it as simple as possible. I used to, at Gerard, we had a new weight room that we had designed when I was uh, going into my senior year. It was a small space, but I had a back locker room area where I had guys doing body weight stuff like step-ups or push-ups or whatever. And so they're back there where I could just kind of peek in and make sure they're doing okay. And station setup was just preset weights. And then you could kind of just have an idea and just, you know, use progressive overload and just bump up five pounds each week. And, you know, you might have a, you know, remember, remember like one kid's really strong. So like, Hey, like when you go, let's slap on a 25, something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the best way to go about it in my mind. And I'm sure there's a lot of different ways and opinions on it from guys that were better high school strength coaches than I was. So I wasn't that good. I don't think, but <laughs> just keep it basic. Just, just make sure that you, you set the governor. That's the biggest thing. You set the governor and yeah. they're, they're kids. You dictate the yeah. weight and what they do, and if they got a problem with it, they're a kid telling them about themselves. Yeah, with you know the, the plyometrics, and I had Micah Kurtz, who's in Carolina's a high school strength and conditioning coach, was actually a NSCA uh, coach of the year in 2018, and we talked about you know back at the beginning of this, the the strength, right? That guys can really keep their strength around. You know, if they did nothing, it'd start disappearing maybe in 20 days or so. So they can maintain their strength, even build their strength during this period. The speed portion of this, that they have to keep working on, running, sprinting, plyometrics. And I know we have a question here from Coach uh, Walsh about plyometrics. What specific plyometrics you use? So I think the big thing is we differentiate between, like, plyometrics being what plyometrics are, which is – actually having a rebound, you know, the stretch reflex compared to, you know, something like a box jump where we're not – box jump, you would go static to dynamic, but then we'll progress something like that where it's low impact, especially with our bigger guys. They'll just do variations of box jumps just because we don't want those forces going through. You know, they a lot of those guys have frames that they're just slapping weight on that, you know, is unnatural to them. So their joints are – you know, they get lit up quickly. So we keep the impacts low on the big guys through box jumps and various style of box jumps. And when it comes to true plyometrics, we do that with select mid athletes or big skill athletes and skill athletes where we'll work into, uh, you know, reactive, low hurdle reactive plyometric jump, working, you know, forces in different directions, um, hurdle jumps. We'll get into those various hurdle jumps, bounding, skipping, and obviously like, for everybody, sprinting is a you know low form of plyometric movement for them. But and then implementing our sprinting and bounding together in different aspects to teach how to you know overcome their body and transition into a movement. And that's something we're going to hit a little bit more towards the summer. But then the other thing too is just working a D cell, which isn't like necessarily plyometric, but I'd kind of put that in the same category for 
our sake here pit working different d cells multi-directional decelerations working the throwing the hands catching the body and teaching them how to absorb their body weight then we'll progress into utilizing medicine balls to decel and progress the distance that they're jumping even med ball throws overhead med ball throws at the chest all of that uh, that's what we kind of utilize for our jumping and plyometrics and medicine ball work but we differentiate between a true plyometric a box jump and then you know the various medicine ball works that we do to ensure that each part is being programmed properly to ensure that it's eliciting the response that we want in the athlete so uh, it's not just a general deal but and it's all progressed over time just make it a little bit more complex by and more i guess difficult by making it more reactive we would normally generally go from something mm -hmm. where we jump and stabilize to something where we jump and react into different movements so that's kind of how we go about it and there's a ton of different things we do with that yeah with the d cell i don't think i've had anybody talk about that aspect of it on the, the podcast talk to us about why that's important and if you could coach just share a real simple progression that our, our coaches could implement yeah so you know d cells just you know learn to decelerate your body and absorb the forces you know from the ground through your body, make sure you're able to stabilize and have your body in the position that's, you know, safe. Because you, you know, in the sport of football, and really any sport, you know, you get thrown around, you're doing awkward movements, you have to cut, you have to absorb a lot of forces. So what we do, aside from, you know, the cutting drills is we'll just start out with body weight where we'll stand on one leg, hands overhead, and just jump out land on the opposite leg and make sure they're stabilizing in the knee joint, make sure they're not going valgus in the knee joint. And then, you know, to progress the forward, we will load them up with the med ball, various weights, and then they'll jump out, stabilize, and then we'll increase the distance. We'll start out, you know, try to jump out, you know, a yard or a yard and a half and try to progress that up as much as we can. And then, you know, and that's subjective as well. Sometimes we'll see a guy that's doing really well and be like, hey, just try to get a little further this time. Or like have a heavier med ball. And then you could go lateral where your lead leg is up. We go diagonal across the body, jump, stick, and make sure same thing that, you know, you get, you know, your ankle stable, your knee stable, and that you're not walking, you know, waddling around, core stabilizes in your good athletic position. And you're not, you know, tapping around on your foot, trying to just jump, you know, fall out, stick. And then we do the same thing, progress with med balls and distance and all of that. But that's a basic deceleration that we do. And obviously, you know, we'll do sprinting uh, decelerations where we'll just run and have to stop on a line or uh, things of that matter. But a lot of decels kind of built in on their football work. We'll cut down on that. We kind of follow, I guess, going back to the program, we follow a structure of uh, vertical integration when it comes to our mm -hmm. modeling. So all of this goes into what is most important when it comes to the central nervous system and what we want to take from the central nervous system, what has to have the main focus. So each block, for lack of a better term, we kind of block up the year. We decide what elements are the most important to hit in regards to, you know, physical standpoint, uh, bioenergetic standpoint, a standpoint of the tactical and technical nature of the sport, and, and a bunch of other things. So we just break that down. And so based off of where 
what takes precedence in those blocks will decide what plyometrics we do, if any. We'll take consideration of the D cell work we'll have to do, if any. You know, the strength movements, how much strength movement, speed work, you know, our elastic power work, our, you know, our aerobic work, you know, elastic aerobic work, whatever it may be, we kind of take a precedence of where everything falls to ensure that we're you know, in the optimal shape at that time for the needs of the sport at that time. So that dictates a lot with our jumping and sprinting and, you know, our, you know, running everything. So. Yeah. I, I think what's important to, to point out is, is all of those things, as you talk about the different forces, I think better prepare the body. I know I was at a, a small college with a small roster and they had an inordinate amount of, ACL injuries the, the previous year I was there and then the the year I was there and so we brought in you know a, a athletic trainer strength and conditioning guy and we we did all these things kind of number one a lot of these guys had to learn how to cut the right way but also to to start to to teach them those movements to better stabilize those joints right to mm-hmm. to condition those joints as well and it's I think an underutilized probably portion. It doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, you went through a whole progression there. You know, it, it doesn't take a lot of time to add that into what you're doing. No, that's the thing. You know, it's, it's all about, you know, how your relationship between your muscles and tendons are, you know, how they're going to respond to training. You have to consider that. And, you know, body positioning, it's huge ensuring that because, you know, and the biggest thing is conditioning as well, you know, just overall general conditioning because your form and everything that you do and you can work on is awesome. You can do a great job at all of that. As soon as you're fatigued, you know, fatigue makes a coward on anybody and you start losing your form quick. So, you know, a lot of times guys get fatigued, they get out of their, their realm of form and they start getting injured and it's, it's not, you know, anything other than them just being gassed and allowing themselves to get lazy. So that's a huge important thing. And I think the other thing too, is, you know, you know, I think there's a big scare of under, you know, overtraining people where, you know, people want to pull back constantly when it comes and that's goes with the sports science. Everybody wants to pull back. Like they don't go like you're doing too much. Like when in reality, the sport of football and the demand of the sport, you, you can't, you know, for lack of a better term, can't be soft. You have to push, you have to go, and you have to be able to tolerate the loads and the velocities that you're going to be hitting. You need to get the exposures to ensure that you're handling that. Now, there is are cases where, like, yeah, like you're you're overworking. You need to pull back, and that's a lot. We all have those athletes that are just workhorses, but at the same time, you know, the load management and you know recovery elements of it also play a lot in the injury prevention of athletes, you know, you could do the best program in the world in the off season and then they get in the ball and they're practicing and you're not monitoring the loads and the velocities. And next thing you know, soft tissue starts coming up and then, you know, you're not keeping up with their exposures to the velocities and you're not getting used to kind of seeing or seeing monotony build up in practice. And there's no break in the monotony. There's no undulation and kind of practice structure. So the monotony builds up and, you know, you look at an acute to chronic work to rest ratio, they start, you know, getting that chronic fatigue and it starts affecting them negatively. And, you know, there's so much that goes into it when it comes to injury risk and, you know, developing the tissue and having the exposures. But 
you know, realistically, it's not overly hard and you don't need the tech. The tech makes it a lot easier, but at the same time, as a, you know, if you're in a high school setting, you, you just have to look at your practice structure and understand what a hard day is, moderate day, easy day, just by play counts, right. throw counts, whatever it may be. There was a book that you mentioned, a couple of coaches had a question about that. What was the book you referenced? I just read it. It was The Strength Manual by Ladin Janovic. He talks about his agile periodization model. It's very good read. So I, I had that one that I just read during this whole quarantine deal. I went back and I'm reading uh, What We Need is Speed by Hank. I can't even pronounce his last name. I think he's Dutch, a Dutch sprint coach. Went through some, you know, Charlie Francis material again just to get back into, you know, looking at the speed, speed work and all of that, trying to, you know, get more ideas and how we're going to approach this, you know, this so awkward situation for us as strength coaches. So ensuring that we're getting the tissue and everything right for the season, whenever that may be, I'm just trying to get ideas. So good books though. Very good. I suggest them for anybody. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time here and uh, joining us and, and sharing some ideas and excited to see you continue to grow in this profession. I appreciate it, Coach, and thanks for having me on. Like I said, it's really cool to see how much you build up this podcast. It's awesome and everything that you're doing. I appreciate you as a coach. Obviously, you know, I'm not somebody that – I don't know how else to put it. I don't kiss anyone's ass, but, you know, I really do appreciate you as a coach and all you did for me when I was playing, you know, there all the good times, you know, like sophomore year playing fullback for you. That was one of the funnest times I ever had playing football. You know, that Mount game was one of my favorite games, even though we lost. But at the same time, you know, like even on the hard times going through that senior season, you know, I appreciate you being up front with me and not, you know, kind of, I feel like a better word, being a coward about anything being direct with me. And I think a lot of stuff that you, the relationship that we had when I was a player and you were a coach and the guy like Coach Meyer, when he was there, Coach Ward, you know, all those coaches that we had there, Coach Watts, I appreciate you guys being direct with me and, you know, not dancing around anything at all. And it's rare to find that. And I think that's one thing I took as a coach was just that, you know, don't sugarcoat it. Don't be a coward about anything. Just tell it as it is because the truth ain't going to hurt nobody. And, you know, if it hurts, it hurts. But I really do appreciate that. And, all you did for me because you brought some, some light in a situation that, you know, haunts me sometimes. So I appreciate it, man. All right, Mike, you take care, man. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll see you. Coaches again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Check it out. All of our our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact.
If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.